Over the course of nearly a year, we have heard some hard, painful stories. And there can be a common sentiment when hearing stories like these. Wow, that was such a hard situation. I don't know that I could have made it. Have you ever thought this when hearing somebody's painful story? You hear their resilience and you think, I don't know that I could have done the same thing. I don't know that I could have trusted God in the same way. I don't know that I could have made it. Our guest Kim had a similar sentiment when her husband came to her one day and said they needed to think about what they would do if something happened, the scenario in which she lost one of her children. She responded, God is not going to allow that to happen because he knows I could not handle it. Kim shares an incredibly powerful story, but I love that it presses on this notion of what we think we can and cannot handle and the reality that the Spirit has a capacity far beyond ours and that in our weakness, God can be shown as strong. You're listening to episode 127 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for the spaces that you create for conversation, that this actually wouldn't have been a space that I would have chosen just with all the stuff that's come together today. But this is the space that you've chosen and that you've created that space and created the opportunity for Kim and I to connect. And so we just thank you in advance for what you're going to do. And we want to release all this to you so that you can work. So pray that you would guide our thoughts and our words, that you would take us where we need to go in this conversation. And in all of this, we pray that you are glorified and honored. Let's pray in most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Kim, I'm really glad to be having this conversation with you. And yeah, like I prayed, I don't know where the conversation is going to go. And I know just a smattering of your story. Before we jump into that, what would you want people to know about who you are before we start our conversation? Well, thank you so much, Paul, for just having this conversation. My name is Kim Peacock, and I work full-time in our family's construction business. I am also an author and a grief coach. I'm married to my best friend. We've been married for almost 38 years, which has been quite an adventure. He's wild (laughs) in a good way, so he keeps me on my toes. We have six uniquely beautiful kids. We have a blended family, so everybody is different. Everybody has a different story, each one of our kids, which is neat because it really lends to the ever-flowing, lovely chaos that we have in our family. But my favorite role that I'm playing right now is Grammy to a bunch of grandkids. So that's my fun part of my life that I really, really enjoy. I enjoy all of it, but I wear lots of hats, but that's the hat I enjoy the most. The Lord has carried us through a lot of twists and turns in our lives, some of them very devastating, but he's carried us through those, bringing joy and beauty in the midst of that. That's me in a very small little nutshell. (laughs) That's great. When I know you mentioned the twists and the turns and devastating moments, and you know, as I've been navigating this season focused on sitting and suffering, the bit I know about your story is that your journey around that involves loss. And it's such a, I mean, it's a relevant topic, right? Because we all experience loss at some point in our lives, but we don't always know how to navigate it. And we don't always know how to navigate it in such a way that we can believe in God's goodness and power. Mm-hmm. And so, Kim, tell me a story. 
Like I said, typical blended family in 1998. There were two less of our kids at that time. They hadn't even been born yet. We hadn't adopted them yet. But we were doing normal family things. Our oldest daughter, Nicole, was 17 at the time. Our daughter, Lisa, was 16 at the time. Our daughter, Megan, was 11. And then we had our son, Alex. He was five. We had just adopted him the prior year from Russia. So we were just kind of, in 1998, just settling into learning how to be that family of, you know, different kids going through different stages. We were busy, just like most families. But my husband came to me a few days before Christmas, and he just said, you know, Kim, we need to be prepared in case something were to happen to one of our kids. Hmm. Well, me being the comfort addict that I am, I said, that is not going to happen. God is not going to allow that to happen because he knows I couldn't handle it. Well, now I know that's not theologically sound. But at the time, I really believed it. I believed if I did my part and I was a good little Christian mom and wife and did the basic things that I was supposed to do, that things would go smoothly. And so I was really irritated when he said that to me because I thought, there is no way. And how dare you even say that right before Christmas? This (laughs) is the fun time. You know, we're getting Mm -hmm. to do fun things. So we had a busy Christmas holiday, wrapping paper. The kids were spoiled, our youngest, Alex. He was the little spoiled guy. And so everything was kind of around him. And our oldest daughter, Nicole, was carrying him around and being spoiled. And we were really just enjoying that time. And we had decided to go on a family vacation right after just to kind of calm down and get everybody together. Our daughter, Lisa, wasn't able to go because she had a basketball tournament. But the rest of us piled in the car and we went to go camping on the beach in California. It's Pismo Beach. And we loved going there because it was just a great place to relax. Kids played on ATVs on the sand dunes and we looked forward to having that time. We had just gotten there and set up camp. And we went out on the dunes to play. And I remember thinking, boy, things could not get any better than this. This is just perfect. Things are coming together, it felt like. And I looked up on a sand dune about that time, and I saw someone at a high rate of speed go off a sand dune. And it was like a sand dune cliff. And I realized that it was our daughter, Nicole, our 17-year-old. Time slowed down. I actually don't remember a lot about those moments because everything just slowed down and it's more like snapshots. But we saw her fall down to the bottom of that dune and land on her head. And the ATC was on top of her. My husband and his dad got to her first and they pulled off her helmet and she was unresponsive. Somehow I got down to where she was and realized the seriousness of what had just taken place. And just that transfer from being happy and joyous to having everything change in an instant, it's like my body couldn't absorb all of that. They got her to the hospital, and when we arrived at the hospital, the doctor told us that she had died on the beach. We began the long process of trying to learn the new normal without Nicole Mm -hmm. and without all of the dreams and all of those things. We had to learn to be a new family. Like I said, I am a comfort seeker. I think we all are. But I really, before this, would run away from any kind of pain. I would avoid pain, even on a TV show. I didn't even want to watch TV shows that had crying and stuff like that. I just wanted to experience goodness and sweetness and fun. 
And so I had to make a choice of either trying to avoid and push away my pain, and you can't avoid the reality of it, but you talking about sitting and suffering, I had to learn to sit in that suffering. What I really began to understand is to push that off only delayed my healing and only delayed what God was doing in my life. It was the darkest time of our lives, but at the same time, the Lord picked us up every day and helped us to walk in a new way. It was a painful transition, but through that, he showed me that I had to embrace that pain and sit in that pain and that he would bring beauty within that pain. And it was a day-to-day battle because the first step of leaving that hospital, I had to decide, okay, where am I going to put my eyes? And my husband said to me during that, he said, Kim, we have to be careful. We cannot allow Satan to come in. We cannot allow him to bring defeat. He means to destroy our family. And so he was really good at reminding me to look at the Lord. Mm -hmm. That is how just that first step that we took ushered into that season of healing for our family. Wow. It's such a heavy thing. You know, I already knew coming into this story that your daughter had died, but it was interesting hearing you share it. Like I could feel something as a parent. I could feel something as you shared it. And my wife and I had two miscarriages years ago, and I remember how that impacted me. And I didn't even get to meet those children, right? Mm -hmm. I can't imagine my young kids, how I would respond if anything happened to them. I definitely couldn't imagine if I had 17 years of building close, deep relationship. And the bond between a parent and a child is different than a bond with anyone else you could grow a relationship with for 17 years. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to name that there's a depth here that one, I appreciate you sharing your story because there's an element of sharing where you have to go back into it. I really love that you were vulnerable enough to acknowledge that prior to this, you would avoid pain, (laughs) like you would avoid suffering and that God was actually inviting you to learn how to sit in suffering. Mm -hmm. I want to hear more about that because our default is to avoid suffering, is to feel like suffering is something to get away from, but God was inviting you to learn to sit in it. Why is that space such a rich one to learn more about who you are and who God is? That's a great question. And it's not a one and done thing where you go, okay, okay, I've got that done. Now I can move on. It's a constant thing. And it is kind of like he peels off those layers of us. God is so gracious and so kind to us that he doesn't just smack us. And it seems like it with the death of our child, Nicole, it seems like, oh, he smacked us. But he covered us in that. And he would peel off the layers of my pain and just allow me to sit there and to just absorb that. And then he'd peel another layer and another layer. He protected my mind and my heart and even my body through that process. We do have to make that choice. And I did push it off for a long time. You know, this was in 1998. So I've had lots of years to allow him to pull off those layers. Mm -hmm. We have that choice to go, okay, Am I going to just sit here and allow this pain? And it's not that the pain defines us. It's just we acknowledge what it is. Separation does not feel natural. That is not the way that we expect to live. And that's not the way that we're designed. We grieve because there is separation. And that's an unnatural thing because we live in a fallen world. That's just the way it is. But continually to push that away, I was just avoiding my healing. And a matter of fact, I was complicated even more. 
I guess the first part of that was being angry at God. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have stopped this. I know you've healed people. <laughs> I believe you could do this. It's not that I doubted that he could do it. Maybe I doubted that he loved me or that he saw me or that I was an important enough or whatever, but I doubted and I wrestled with all those things, the whys. So that was probably that first layer, because I thought if I could figure out why Nicole went to heaven early in my estimation, then I could make sense of it. Because I think we always, when there's a loss, there's a separation, you mentioned yours and your wife's miscarriages. Mm -hmm. We want to make sense of that. Well, why? But what he showed me during that first layer of that sitting and suffering is my little mind is too small. I cannot absorb the whole reason why. I do believe he has reasons for allowing her to go to heaven, but I had to really learn to just give him that pain instead of trying to figure out that pain Mm -hmm. and then continually giving him my pain. And I still have those days. Nicole would be 40 right now. That is so weird to me because I think as her friends not only have gotten married, but they're having kids, their kids are teenagers, Mm -hmm. some of them. I will still experience another layer of that sitting in that and acknowledging. And the Lord reminds me, this is not all there is. You know, there's the scripture that talks about look to the unseen because the unseen is eternal where what we see is temporary. And he will remind me during that layer of sitting in that, okay, this is not all there is. I believe Nicole is more alive than even we are right now. Mm -hmm. Our kids, your two little babies are more alive than we are. And I think that that brings encouragement to my heart. As we sit in suffering, I think we begin to see God clearly. And even though I'm still a comfort addict, our comfort is kind of irrelevant as far as our growth and our existence here. That is very secondary. We have moments of comfort and I'm thankful for those, but it brings a richness and sitting in the suffering has brought color to my life. Vivid, beautiful color. Yeah, that's really good. And I love that piece about that layer of, if I could just figure out why this happened, then I'll understand, then I can make sense of it, then I can rest, then I can trust God, then I can, (laughs) right, Right. if I could just know. And I mean, that's a normal human condition. Like even my young kids, when we tell them something or we make a decision, why? 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 And they will not rest until they get their answer of why. And sometimes like, you know, there's the classic because I'm the parent. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. The first time you say that as a parent, you think, oh, man, I never thought I would say that because we hate it as kids. But you say it because you realize there is nothing I can tell this child that will get them to fully understand. this. Right. Right. There's nothing I could say to make them accept the situation that in their mind is a bad situation. And so how much more for us as children of God, (laughs) when something happens, we're crying out, why God explain yourself. And God's like you said, he's like, but your little mind can't comprehend it. I love you so much, but there's nothing you can. Yeah, you know, that is a perfect description. I love you so much. And even though I'm fighting and kicking and acting like a little brat, he picks me up and he still holds me. What I love about him is he never in the midst of all that, he never turned his eyes away from me. Just like we don't turn our eyes away from our kids. You know, they're like throwing a fit because they're not getting their way or they don't understand or it hurts or whatever. If we can't take away that pain or whatever the situation is, our eyes are always on them and we just desire to pick them up and we carry them if necessary. We help them walk if necessary. Whatever the case is, the Lord is there doing that for us. And I love that even though there were times I was lashing out at him, his eyes never turned away from me. 
And he doesn't forbid that, right? He doesn't right. say, thou shalt not be angry with me. Yeah. Like, Psalms are filled with moments where the psalmists are just angry. Yeah. The difference is they, at the end of it, still made a decision to seek God. It's the same thing as what you were noting that prior to that layer being removed, you only felt like you could really trust God if he could explain himself. But now you're at a place where you're like, I may still ask why sometimes, but if God doesn't give me the answer, I'm still going to choose him. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to follow him. And that can be hard because a big piece of what we're talking about here is perspective. And you touched on something that we say we believe if we believe in God, but functionally, we don't always believe it. And that's the reality that maybe our reality isn't what we think it is, that our reality is death is the end and that a good God would never let bad things happen. And you were just describing the reality that your daughter is actually more alive now than she ever could have been if she was 40 years old, Yeah, you know, living on this earth. And that's a hard thing for us to grapple with. Yeah. I was facilitating a community Bible study this week, and we got onto this topic of suffering and how can God be good and powerful if bad things happen. And we touched on the sentiment that Paul shared in one of his letters where he says, you know, it'd be better for me to die and be with Christ, but I feel like God wants me to remain for you. But he's acknowledging there is actually something better and it would be better for him to be there. Yeah. But for their sake, he is still here. We can't just get there from our intellect, because like you said, we have small, tiny minds that can't grasp it. But when we choose to trust God in spite of our understanding, in spite of our desires, then we begin to see that reality a little more. We begin to be able to process it and understand it a little more so that when the next hard thing happens, we can engage it differently. I don't know why this is happening. It doesn't make sense. It seems bad. But I've come to believe that God is God and God is good. So I'm going to keep moving forward. <laughs> even though I don't like it because God must know something I don't. Here's what's interesting about your story. This is all good and well for a person to navigate through if they're on their own. But you had to navigate this hard thing that you would have chosen to avoid if you could have while still being a mom. You still had to lead a family mm -hmm. <laughs> while trying to figure out how to function. Mm -hmm. How did you navigate that? And how did your family together navigate this? That was probably one of the most difficult parts of it, even from my parents down to our youngest. My parents were really, really close to Nicole. And that night when we took the long drive home, we chose not to tell them over the phone. And I had to wake my mom up in the middle of the night and tell her. Mm. Um, it still gets me. Yeah. Because it seemed cruel to do that. That's one of those snapshots that I won't ever forget. And then we had to go. Well, first we told our daughter, Lisa, because she was there. Lisa was Nicole's best friend. They shared a room. So I'll give the large answer and then I'll come down. The large answer is I had to understand every single person was an individual. Every person that we spoke to, we actually prayed before we talked to anyone. Lord, help us as we speak to so-and-so and so-and-so. Lisa, we had to give her that news. We walked in. She was up late doing homework. And she's like, what are you guys doing here? Because she had had to stay back. And we told her. And just the disbelief. Her and Nicole were best friends. They shared a room. They shared secrets in that room. It was their little world. They were only a year apart. I had to navigate that road a little bit differently. She expressed her grief in a different way. And because of the closeness and her being 16 years old, she was going to process differently. 
then we told my parents again, that was devastating to have to do that and to even help them in their grief while I'm still grieving. It wasn't my responsibility to grieve for them, but it was my responsibility to understand, especially my mom, Grace, she had such a hard time. And then even dropping down to Megan, Megan was with us on the trip. She was 11. Well, we had to spend that time processing with her differently. Nicole was her advocate, the person that she looked up to. Nicole was fiercely loyal to her siblings. And even though she was mild-mannered as a person, if you mess with her siblings, she'd throw you down. Mm -hmm. So Megan was losing that. And so we had to watch her and let her grieve in her own way. And then Alex, he had already suffered so much loss. He was in an orphanage in Russia. Mm. His biological parents had dropped him off at two years old. And then at four years old, we adopted him. So he had to leave the world that he knew, come to a place he didn't. I mean, the language barrier, everything, the cultural barrier was so vast. And then again, his advocate, Nicole, who carried him around on her shoulders and bought him Slurpees and candy behind mom's back, mm -hmm. not in a mean way, but in a, just a sweet trying to help him navigate in his new world. And each one of them had to learn their way in their own way. And we had to learn to respect everyone's individualism and how grief goes. That's one thing I learned is everyone grieves differently. And each one of the kids, there's things I wish I would have done differently, but for the most part, the Lord just showed us warning signs with each one of them. In a way, that was something that helped me to grieve because I had to keep my eyes off the internal of me and what I was feeling and my pain because I had to watch out for them. They all missed her in a deep way, but in different ways. One story is my husband and Alex went into the restroom at the hospital. They had just given us the news mm -hmm. and they came out of the restroom and Alex asked Larry, my husband, where is Nicole? And Larry said, well, she's in heaven, buddy. And he said, is she happy? And he said, yep, she's very happy. And he goes, okay. Mm -hmm. For him, that was a very black and white way to look at it. And that's kind of how he is in life too. But for him, it was just a simple faith. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, she's with Jesus, so we're fine now. I'm going to miss her. And he did. There were many times that he missed her. But just the different perspective. You mentioned perspective and even having that perspective of how the Lord carried each one of them individually. It wasn't my place to grieve for them. And I wanted to fix it for him at first. And I had to learn, I cannot fix this. I wanted to fix them all. But I had to learn that they had to walk their journey with the Lord in their grief individually. I couldn't do it for them, even though I wanted to fix it for them. Yeah. And we really do want to fix things. I mean, that is our go-to response is I want to eliminate the hurt and the pain and the struggle. And I want to bring in the comfort. Yeah. And yet somehow something that sounds like a best case scenario, somehow that isn't. Somehow God looks at that and says, I get why that looks good. but..." I want to do something different. I appreciate the story about Alex because I can resonate with that. My father passed away when I was five. And mm -hmm. at age five, I did not really understand death or anything like that. And my mom told me something similar when I asked where my dad was. She said, well, you know, we went to the hospital. And as I remember it, the doctors opened a door that led to heaven and your dad went through it and he's in heaven now. And I felt the same way. Like it was still sad. Like I still missed him. But there is a piece that I had because in my limited understanding, 
I didn't bring with it all the stuff that I would if I had lost him 10 years later or 20 years later or 30 years later. It brings to mind this idea of faith like a child. The older we get, the more of our own understanding that we're bringing to the equation. Right. It doesn't change the reality that loss is hard. I mean, even Jesus cried when Lazarus died and Jesus knew that he was going to come back to life, right? Yes, exactly. There's still a weight and a pain, but there's an invitation in this of how do we as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say, not lean on our own understanding, Mm -hmm. but in all our ways, acknowledge him, trust him, and submit to him. You were in relationship with God before this happened. Mm -hmm. You were making decisions in your life to try to honor God and live a godly life. I imagine that played into some of your decisions about adoption. Mm -hmm. Then this thing happens that seems like, as you noted, this shouldn't happen to someone who's seeking God. And you were invited into the space of learning more deeply who God is. You know, where you are now today, what do you know about God that you didn't quite grasp back in 1997? Mm. There are so many things, but I think to understand that he walks with me in my pain, just like we were talking about as a parent, he carries me in my pain. But I also believe he weeps with me in my pain. Mm. I believe he's right there. I mean, scripture tells us that he collects our tears in a bottle. That means that he acknowledges every tear that I shed. And there's been a lot, but he also shows me that I need to use that pain. I give my pain to him. It's just this really amazing thing. Every time I give my pain to him, he creates beauty. He gives it back to me and he helps me to share it with others. That it's important for me to be a conduit. And that's why I wrote the book, Victorious Heart. And now as the kids are grown up and on their own, he showed me to be able to walk with others in that pain because that's what he does for me. You know, the scripture that talks about he comforts us in our grief so that we can comfort others as they're grieving. And that's exactly what happens when I walk with a mom who has lost her child or a wife who's lost her husband. And I just basically listen to them and just encourage them. That even brings more healing to me. To me, it just shows me how the Lord, he connects our souls. He connects us in a beautiful way to eternity when we do that. And that all I see here, I'm a visual person, but what I see is not all there is. There's beauty here, but there's also times that I need to look to eternity, look ahead to what is in front of me. That's the main thing. And that I'm going to make it, he is going to carry me through some hard things that I never thought I would survive. Yeah. It's like how you started your story that, husband, you need to stop talking (laughs) about the way I'm targeted because if that happened, I could not survive it. Yeah. You know, it's just amazing how little we actually not just understand about life, but understand about ourselves and God's capacity through us. Mm -hmm. Because I think many people can relate to that notion that they've had moments in their life where they saw absolutely no way. And yet here they are. They're like, oh, yeah, I actually did make it through that. And we've actually got to pause and figure out what we do with that reality. Because if that was true then, how could that still be true? What could I be speaking into being, (laughs) claiming as fact that actually isn't? That 10 years from now, I'll look back and say, man, I was convinced I would not get through that situation. But here I am. How do we step forward when our minds can't comprehend it? Small, small, small steps. You know, I talk about giving my pain to God. Sometimes that's a hard concept to even think about. But sometimes that means just walking forward into our day, wherever we are, to just step into that. If it means getting out of bed in the morning, sometimes that's the hardest thing is just getting out of bed. Now, 
one of the hardest things for me to do is step into, okay, I'm going to talk about this accident that still hurts me. To go through each step of each day, and then God literally expands things in front of me. He literally goes, okay, I can't see what's in front of me, Lord. But as we step into that, he lightens the path a little more. And with that, that brings healing. But it is a very small step, one at a time. I wanted to see the big picture where he said, no, just trust me for today. And my life looks differently than I thought it would be. It's kind of like the amputee, someone who loses a leg. Your leg is gone, but your life is still here. Let's learn to walk in a new way. And that's what God does for me every single day. Yeah, that's really good. What would you say to someone who's on the outside of it to help equip them to be able to walk with someone who's sitting in the suffering of loss? Great question. I think show up. Grief is awkward. Death is awkward and it feels overwhelming. I still feel overwhelmed when I go talk to someone who has lost someone. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is to show up. We had ladies from church that showed up and the ones that brought the most comfort to us didn't ask a lot of questions. They gave us hugs. I don't even remember a lot of who came, but everybody came. The refrigerator was full. Our animals, we had a barn full of animals. They came and took care of them. They exercised Nicole's horse. They took the younger kids, took Alex to the park. Those kind of things, people came in and they just showed up. So don't worry about saying just the perfect thing to take away the pain of your friend because there is nothing you're going to say that's going to take away their pain. But there is a balm that you can put on their broken hearts when you show up and you just tell them you love them. Then I would say continue showing up because after a month or so, everybody goes back to work. Everybody goes back to their routines. Well, you're still brokenhearted and you're still trying to learn to walk in this new reality. And then you feel alone. So send a text, send a card. It doesn't have to be a lot. Just let them know they're not alone. Let them know you're praying for them. That's really the biggest thing that you can do and be with them and realize this is not going to be a few weeks process. This is going to be months and years. And I still have friends that still call me on Nicole's birthday and on her heaven day. And it really does good for my heart. Yeah. I had a conversation with a guy named Roger who spent a long time as a chaplain and a lot of what he shared is similar to what you shared. And one thing I love that he named is that We all have the capacity to create space, Mm. but it could look different. There are some people who may be very good at just sitting and being present and listening. Mm. There may be other people where they've got enough going on in their life that it's hard to step into that space, but they can cook a casserole (laughs) or they can send a text or they can simply pray. So I love that, that there is a way for us to step into that space, but I also appreciate your caution there to not get caught up in what to say to fix the situation because there isn't anything you could say to fix the situation. Because like we said, the goal is not to fix the situation. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. leave the platitudes at home. Exactly. Yeah. Don't even say anything at all. Might be better than trying to force something because just sitting, mm-hmm. just sitting and being physically there mm-hmm. can say a whole lot more than the best Hallmark cards. So. Exactly. And even like your friend mentioned, we can all create space. Even as you were saying that, I was thinking about how some of the kids in the horse group in the horse world, because we showed horses, they didn't cook casseroles. They didn't even come in the house, but they cleaned our stalls Mm. and they exercised the horse. 
you know, and then I had those beautiful women who made excellent food and they made the casseroles. I had people wiping off the counters, you know, simple things like that. Everybody has the gift that God's given them, but they did create that space in their own unique ways. And that's a really good point that we can exercise the gifts that God's given us to be there for people, not to fix them because we're not going to fix them, but to be there and know that they aren't walking alone. Yeah. Let's imagine there's somebody that's listening right now who has experienced loss of somebody very close to them. And they're in that low, 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 low place of sitting and suffering. What would you want to say to them right now? I'd say don't give up. Keep on walking into it. You will make it. You will make it through these days. There's going to be hard days ahead. And also, if you feel like you have setbacks, if you feel like you've made progress in your grief, but then you have a really hard day, that's not a setback. (laughs) That's just part of it. Grief is not linear. And don't allow the expectations of our culture, even within the church, even within our Western civilization, don't allow those expectations to put a binding around your grief and don't let them define your grief. God will walk you through it. He will carry you through it and understand that your grief is your own to walk through and that he will carry you through it. You will make it. That's good. You know, if somebody's listening and they're thinking, I want to learn more about Kim's story, I want to hear about her book, I want to connect with her, what's the best way for them to do any of those things? I have a website and that is the easiest way to just go directly to me. I try to answer all my correspondence there and I have a blog and different resources there. It's wildvictoriousheart.com. I also have a link for my book there, but you can also get Victorious Heart wherever books are sold. It's just our journey, and it's a guidebook to kind of walk somebody through grief. And then also there's sections in there to help if you're walking with someone to kind of help you through those steps and just some helpful things that will guide people during that process. So it's wildvictoriousheart.com. That's great. And then as we close out, is there anything else in your heart that you feel like God's wanting you to share? I believe that it was essential for me to understand that God walks with me in my pain and that pain isn't necessarily a bad thing. Pain brought beauty because it brought clarity to my life. And God was with me through each one of those steps. That suffering brought a beauty and clarity that I thought I would never experience. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the God is not going to allow that to happen because he knows I could not handle it. What I love about when Kim shared that in this conversation is that immediately she acknowledged that she now knows that is not theologically true. And she's right. When we resign ourselves to hopelessness, we betray a limited understanding of the power of God. But the God of Scripture is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving. We get a taste of it in 2 Corinthians 12. Here, the Apostle Paul recognizes that there is something, a thorn in his flesh, that is causing him to be incapable of living out the life he believes he's supposed to be living. And so he prays three times for God to take it away. But instead, God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Releasing his misguided theology, Paul then says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly 
of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul, like Kim, had scenarios in his mind that he believed he could not handle. But he came to know a God who could, a God whose grace was sufficient for him, a God whose power was made perfect in his weakness. In fact, it brought Paul to the place where he was content with hardships and persecutions and calamities. This isn't the only place we find this mindset. In Philippians 4, starting at verse 10, the Apostle Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, there was a point at which the Apostle Paul believed there were things he could not do, but verse 13 takes us to a right theology. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the place that Kim landed as well. Back in 1998, in her mind, there were limitations to what she could do, there were limitations to what she could handle, and there were limitations to what God could do in the midst. But now she recognizes that in her weakness, God was shown strong. That regardless of her limitations, she can do all things through Christ who strengthens her. Kim experienced one of the most devastating things a person can experience, the loss of their child. And yet you can hear in her voice a deep joy and confidence in who God is and how he loves. And the same God loves you. If you are in a place where you feel like you cannot handle what's ahead, know that God can, and in your weakness, he is strong. This doesn't mean it won't be frightening. This doesn't mean it won't be difficult. But this simple shift in our mindsets from impossibility to possibility can allow us to step where we wouldn't have stepped before to allow us to step when we don't have the strength. And in the midst, it's not about the situation being fixed, but us coming to a right understanding of who God is and conveying that right understanding to those around us. We become conduits of God's love. We become ambassadors of Christ when we are willing to step into these spaces, trusting the God who loves us. Maybe your situation feels like something that you can't handle, but God can. So accept his invitation to trust his love and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, 
on your device or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?